Bond. My name is Mion. I'm the daughter of the man you shot 26 years ago. You are probably surprised that I, of all people, am writing you. But I'd like to finally have some closure. First and foremost, I want to let you know that I truly forgive you. We all grew up without our fathers, and that hole has impacted each of us in many different ways. It's been almost 26 years now. There's stories in the case that don't make sense to me, and maybe never will. Maybe we can keep somebody else from going through the experience that we had to go through. I will be in touch. Take care. We own. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of C4 Podcast. Southeast Asian Athlete Achievement Through Adversity. My name is Coach Andetka. I'm here with my co-host, John Messina, and we have a great guest um, coming on today. If you guys haven't already, please like, comment, share, you know, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Lao American Sports, website, Lao American Sports Hall of Fame. Um, if you know anyone that you would think that would be a great guest who has gone through some type of adversity, and honestly, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of us, but it's just that telling the story part is like what a lot of us, when I say us, I mean like Asian, Laotian, um, Southeast Asian, is that a lot of them, a lot of us were taught at a young age to just hold it in by our parents, you know, um, not talk about it, sweep it under the rug. So, and me, I you know, I've gone through my share of adversity. I've, I've been pretty open about it. And uh, I know it's it's helped me a lot in, in my own personal life. So, um, yeah, if you know anybody uh, that would be a great guest on the show, please send us a message. All right, without further ado, I'll hand it over to my co-host, John. Yeah, so we have an exciting guest today, Rose Kuhn. This is going to be a little bit of an emotional episode for everybody. Um, in particular, it's going to hit close to home for, for Co. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we, we dive into an interview with Ro Rose, I'd recommend, if you haven't listened to episode 39 with Kenya Proch or episode 8 with Vana Ann, you go do that because Rose... We're going to touch on the surface of the Khmer Rouge and the killing fields in this episode. But with Kenya, he actually lived through it. Um, he he uh, was severe, you know, impacted significantly by it. He's the uh, Bocator uh, master that we had on. And Kenya has a book out, Blackstone Hands. I'm going to recommend, you know, if you're looking for something to read, it's an excellent book. Um, talks about Kenya's journey from the killing fields, basically through his athletic accomplishments, both in Cambodia and the U.S. And in fact, I finished reading his book on the flight to Cambodia last May for the SEA Games. And when I landed, I texted Kenya and said, hey, Kenya, you know, it's very moving having read your story on my way to Cambodia. It was kind of ironic. I said, I'm actually going to leave your book here because this story belongs here. And he said, hey, actually, I would appreciate if you do that. In fact, one of my close friends on the Cambodian Olympic Committee, if you could give it to him, um, I would appreciate that. So I actually went to the Cambodia Olympic office, which is right next to the Lao office inside the athlete village and uh, was able to pass that book on. And it, it just kind of was a, a very nice moment for Kenya and for, for me and everything. So please check out his book, Blackstone Hands, because he will go into much more detail than Rose will be able to on this subject. And also check out episode eight with Vana in. Vana was part of the gang violence in Northern California. Um, back in the 90s, where this this episode's going to take us a little bit too. He'll go into much more depth on that side of uh, this story as well from his own experiences. But with that, we have Rose Kuhn today. Um, Rose was born in the U.S., but her family came from Cambodia, experienced the uh, Khmer Rouge and all that. Rose, maybe introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your family's background in Cambodia and coming to the U.S. Yeah, so uh, my parents survived the Khmer Rouge and they came to America in 1980. They were they got sponsored and moved came from uh, Thailand to Atlanta, Georgia. And when they got to Atlanta, Georgia, my fa my father's godbrother was like, "Hey, there's a lot of opportunity in California. Won't you guys come and move here to California?" So my parents, you know, got um, everybody, my grandma, grandpa, my my aunt and all the kids on a Greyhound bus. And when they were at the Greyhound station, my parents, my mom was like, what are they drinking? Cause my brothers were thirsty. 
So my dad went to go figure out like, okay, there's a vending machine. There's a bunch of sodas. So my dad, you know, got some quarters and, and they didn't know he just, you know, got a, I think a diet Coke is what my mom said. So she got, they got diet Coke and they were all drinking it. My mom, my mom took a sip and was like, Ooh, this is, you know, nasty. But my brothers and, and, and dad drank it and they end up all getting diarrhea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and before that, they, when they came to America on the plane, my, my mom had two brothers, uh, twin brothers, you know, knowing nothing about diapers or anything like that, the flight attendant gave my mom and dad two diapers for my brothers. And my, my parents didn't know what it is. So my mom and dad were inspecting, what is this thing? What is this diaper, right? So my dad, he said he figured it out. He said, oh, honey, it's a pillow. So they fold <laughs> the diaper in half and put it on their neck. And they were just, you know, laying down. They're like, yeah, yeah, that feels good, you know? So... <laughs> Yeah. So, and then the flight attendant came by like, no, 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 no. They had to show my mom and dad what a diaper was and put it on my brothers. Cause you know, coming from Cambodia, they were poor. They didn't know what a diaper, they'd never seen a diaper before. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So that's their journey. Um, and how we came to, um, end up in Modesto, California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well so then you you enter the picture at some point you're born and uh tell us about your childhood up up prior to your father's passing kind of what your childhood was like yeah so we you know when we came to america my grandpa uh we were all buddhists but my grandpa converted into christianity and became a pastor so we grew up kind of going to church on sunday my mom was um still a buddhist you know she went to church only on the holidays for like the potluck and stuff. Um, but growing up, we had, you know, the American dream, you know, like um, that little Toyota uh, little truck and my parents worked uh, worked on the farm and my dad ended up being a community leader in Modesto and helping people um, apply for welfare or translate um, uh, like documents to help the community there. Uh, I honestly, I thought my childhood was, was, was normal. It was fun. You know, we got together, um, hung out as a family, did things together. So, you know, that, yeah, that, that's, that was, you know, what I can remember so far. Oh, yeah. Well, so then, you know, it was obviously interrupted um, by your father's passing. Tell us about that day and what happened? Yeah. So July 7th, 1990, my parents uh, uh, own a VHS video store in San Jose, California. So my parents were commuting from Modesto to, to San Jose. We were like uh, raised, uh, my grandpa and grandpa raised us at home while my parents went out to work. Um, one, uh, that afternoon, you know, a group of six um, Asian gangs from Oakland, uh, they came to my dad's video store. They scoped it out and was like, oh, you know, probably easy rob. Um, so that day, um, I'm, I'm just thinking if I should combine the two stories from, you know, I'm going to do that. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, so what they did was the, uh, they came into my dad's video store. The youngest was like, I think maybe 13 years old. And the oldest was 21, which was a driver. And then the shooter was 18. And this is 1990. Um, so three, I think, I think it was like three went into the store and three was outside, like in the lookout and one was a driver. Well, that's seven people there. Well, I don't know. It was like, I'm not exactly sure. Approximately. Um, yeah. So when they went in, you know, um, I had, this is the, this is what I found out after writing him is, you know, he went in and was like, you know, say, boo, give me your money. So he's like, uncle, give me your money. And then, um, my dad was like, why are you doing this? You know, why are you doing this? And, um, in that moment, my dad made a sudden movement and he just, he shot my dad. Wow. Yeah. 
So, so how did the word spread to the family and stuff? Um, <clears throat> so after that, I think he was trying to, um, what I knew that the kids and my grandparents, we were in Modesto. I remembered I was still playing outside because this is the summertime. And one of the neighbors, my dad's friend shouted to the, to the whole neighborhood because we lived in a Cambodian neighborhood was like, uh, my dad is named John. So they said, uh, uh, my dad's uh, been shot. And so the whole neighborhood, I just remember that day, everybody like came out and like, what happened? What happened? It was just all this commotion. Like nobody knew. And I just remember that night, right? Um, it was quiet. Our house was dark. The energy level was like so, it was dark. Yeah. It was dark. Yeah. yeah. Because for me, I was seven years old. And my dad told me that when he, when he, he come home, that he would teach me how to ride a bike because that's what I wanted to do. I was like, like, teach me how to ride a bike. You know, and he was like, yeah, wait till I come back home. That day never came. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. For, yeah. for those who don't know, um, you know, if you've read Ko's book, you know, or if you watch his documentary, you know, but Ko's sister was murdered uh, back in the 90s as well, very tragically. Um, so this, you know, obviously hits close to home for him. He understands Probably I don't. I haven't gone through something right. Co the how the house would just feel dark. The whole family would. I I totally get it when she says the house is dark because uh, when I heard about my sister getting shot, my other sister. I have three sisters, mm -hmm. so my middle sister called me on the phone, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. We had landlines, right? So yeah. you just hear it and you pick it up. And all I heard, all I heard on the other side was my sister crying, saying. You know, uh, Dick is dead, you know. And I'm like, mm. So I got up and I went and, you know, went to my sister's house and like there were a bunch of us just sitting there. And yeah, it was dark. It was dark and it was quiet, except for the rain. That's something like I don't forget that night was like it was just raining and storming, you know, and all you hear was the rain. We just sat in silence. We really didn't know like what to say. You know, death, death is, uh, you know, any type of death is hard. Um, you know, someone passing um, out of old age or someone passing um, unexpectedly, that's hard. When that person was murdered, kind of like in your case too, Rose, uh, that, that really, it really makes it hard. You know, it, it, it makes it hard. So, and I held on, I mean, long story short, I held on to a lot of anger, um, a lot of hate for a very, very long time. And it, it, it's funny because when I look up uh, Rose's uh, Instagram, there's a line on there that says, uh, uh, "Healing." Is it healing after forgiveness? Right? You have that on your on your title, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's how I healed. I had to forgive. So yeah, and the person that murdered her was her husband. Mm. That makes it even, you know even harder to digest yeah. and uh yeah I, I i was angry for a long time and uh but the day i felt better when, when i was like uh, i forgave him you know and I, and I realized i don't know, forgiveness is for ourselves right it's really not for yes. that person it's not giving that person it's not giving a person a free pass and saying you know yeah he, he did it and i'm like mm -hmm. no it, it's like i said i was so consumed with anger and, and hate and um, that's every, everything that's negative and dark, right? And uh, yeah, but when I when I came around and and forgave him, um, I started to heal. So yeah, and how long did yeah. that take you? Like how many years? <laughs> I was I was twenty one, twenty two when we found out about this. Honestly, I'm 50 now, okay? I was in my 50s. Yeah. I was in my 50s. That's almost 30 years. Yeah. Um, and what, the, what inspired me to seek forgiveness was, okay, so 
I'm going to go backwards a little bit, right? 1989. So there's my sister, Dick, her husband, and they have two kids. Okay. Uh, a little 10 year old boy. And like Melissa was Eric and Melissa was like four years old. In 1989, when I was 18 years old, again, getting that phone call from a, from a family member, Eric just got hit by a car. So 10 year old Eric is playing in the streets. I was guilty. I had a lot of guilt with this. I don't know if I shared it in my book, but um, he was playing with firecrackers. Firecrackers that he, he took from my, from my house, my room. And I, like, for the longest time, felt so guilty because if he had never, you know, taken the firecrackers, he wouldn't be dead, right? I mean, that's what I thought. So that happens. Um, so Melissa's a, 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 you know, an only child. And I guess, you know, four years later, what transpired, and we don't really knew, we didn't see, we didn't see it, you know, because Asians are so good at hiding it, you know. Yes. They have painting that picture, everything's great. And that's what led to them. You know, my sister wanted a divorce, and I'm I'm just assuming he's like, well, if if I can't have you, no one will. Type of, you know, he had that type of attitude, and you know, he shot my sister. Um, he even like Melissa was in the car. She was about at that time like seven, eight years old, maybe nine. Um, there are five bullets, so he took three shots at my niece. Uh, like one hit her stomach, one hit her hand. One like raised it, right? Knowing that he only had two left, then he shot my sister, and then he shot himself. So it was just the way it happened was just like, oh, it's like, what a horrible way to like, like see death. And I was like, again, Eric was my first, you know, experience with death from a family member, and I was eighteen. Uh, so like, yeah, four years later, I was twenty-one, twenty-two, and just that, you know, just that, how it happened, and it's like. I don't know. It's such a shame, you know? Um, Yeah. So you carried a lot of guilt and shame growing up. Anger. We had a lot of anger. Anger. Yeah. Yeah. I had bodybuilding. I had bodybuilding. I took it out of my bodybuilding. I devoted everything to bodybuilding to, I don't know, I wanted to be a professional bodybuilder uh, and I dedicated it to my sister, you know? So not always the best type of motivation. Be motivated for something because you're passionate and you love it, not because you're angry at the world. I can offer any bit of advice. Yeah. No, I was totally angry too. And I didn't know that I had, that my anger was rooted in my dad's death. You know, so growing up, like there was a quote from Gabe, uh, Gabber Mate, and it was, um, um, if you don't heal childhood trauma, it shows up mm-hmm. in your romantic relationship. And I remember right. my husband telling me that you have an anger problem. I was like, you know, get mad at him. Like, no, no, like, 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 no way. But then I did not realize that this anger was rooted from my father's death when, until yeah. I did somatic breath work, right? I, the first, I think the second time I did somatic breath work is where I tapped into, uh, first it was anger. I was so angry angry, right? I I had a, I was envisioning the picture. I was envisioning Bob, who is, uh, who shot my dad in my mind. And I was like screaming. I was like, I was in rage. I was in rage. I was screaming in rage. And then, you know, after screaming in rage and just being so angry, sadness came in. And I started crying, like bawling, like the depth of your soul, like sadness. I didn't know where this was coming from. And underneath that, that sadness was actually grief, grief that I never grieved my father's death since I was a kid. So I had all this anger of hurt and pain that I grew up and didn't know where this anger and and trigger would like just lash on people. And that's where I discovered like where my anger came from. It was, I didn't get to grieve my father's death. And that so was you were, like, you were how old when all this would started was like starting to come together. Like what age? What age? Um when you're noticing of the anger and all um probably in my thirties is when I started, you know, noticing things like, oh, oh, I I I, oh. I am a little, you know, 
you know, like firecracker. <laughs> so would you say like from seven to 30, you were maybe numb? Like you weren't yeah. feeling at all? Yeah, I, I, because, you know, like after my father's death, like our family didn't talk about it, right? We just right. kind of, like, we, we don't talk about it. So growing up, I learned to just suppress all my emotions, you uh -huh. know, like, uh -huh. like I see something fucked up, but I don't say anything. I'm just like, okay, just like, you don't want to cause problems, you know, like just be quiet. Don't, you know, don't cause any problems. Yeah. And then until I got older when I was like, I have a voice too. Like, how come I cannot say anything? You know, cause I grew up with my mom to say, don't just let it go. Let it go. Don't you know, just tuck it in. Like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Until I, you know, in my thirties where I discovered like my voice matters too. You know, I don't have, <laughs> I got tired of just being quiet, not saying anything, not standing up for anything. So that's where I learned to like tap into, um, you know, like my voice power, just like being able to, you know, get angry without, anybody telling you like, Oh, Rosie, stop, stop being angry. You know what? Cause when some people cry, they don't know how to hold that pain for people. So they just, Oh, stop crying. You're fine. You're fine. Right. Cause underneath suffering, there's pain. And, and now when I see like my mom that's suffering, there's pain in there that she's unexpressed that she hasn't, you know, like, and, and I, just all of us, we all, there's, we know people suffering right now. And there's underneath of it is that pain. How can we, how can we tap into that pain? That pain is very uncomfortable, you know, shame, guilt, like you don't want to touch it. You don't want to see it. That's why a lot of people numb themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and I think with, Go on. I'm sorry. And the thing with our culture too is, okay, so we don't talk about it. And then for the ones that want to talk about it, nobody understands. Like if yes. they don't feel it, they don't understand. Right. I, like I, you know, dealt with addiction, depression, anxiety, and to, ev to everybody else that doesn't have it, it's like this invisible, you know, I, I call it like an invisible injury because I'm yeah. hurt, I'm broken, but I can't explain it to you guys unless you walked in my shoes and felt what I feel, it's invisible to you. You know, so it's hard to get like, see, you finally have enough guts to, you know, open up and talk about it. And then you feel like, and of course, like you're going to reach out to your close friends and family, right? When they don't get it, you know, that's. Yeah, like absolutely. A, you know. Because sometimes the people close to us, they don't know how to hold space for us because they haven't done their work. They haven't gone to the depth of, what we've been through. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been I, numbing themselves too. Yes. Yes. And then <laughs> I, I, I read, I read this quote uh, yesterday. It's from Gabor Mate. And he says that if you want to understand somebody's addiction, you have to understand their pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that because there's so many of us addicted to all kinds of things. We live in a society right now that a lot of people are in pain. Yeah, and Co, yeah. especially you, because Co, you know, you were this professional athlete on the Mr. Olympia stage, right? It, it, to the outsider observer like me, I'd say this guy's on top of the world, right? And yeah. not, but not understand like what's inside, right? Um, it, it's especially for somebody like you who was kind of a public figure and at that at that level. Um, but Rose, you did well, like, something. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Like when, when people say like they're fans, fans you know, mean fanatic. I had so many fans that I thought were friends, and they were just fans. They're fanatics. They cheered me when I was up, and nobody wanted to be near me when I was down. You know, mm -hmm. I was, and that was a big thing. Like that, you know, I was like, I couldn't understand that at all. Like I thought these people loved me, admired me. Right. And then you open yourself up and, and you're open and people just look at you. They look, I mean, I got funny looks. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, well, that's, that's hard. Yeah. So 
So Rose, what, I mean, at some point through this journey, as you're discovering this, you actually decide to reach out to the perpetrator or one of them, I guess the, the person who pulled the trigger, there was a group of them involved, right? What, yeah. what, how did you come to that point of actually doing that? Cause that's a very big step. Yeah. So, okay. I was at a point in my life where I dropped my daughter at, off at school and I kept thinking to myself, I was just like in this era of like trying to discover who I am. Like, you know, there's more to me. I just, you know, I'm just like not a mother, like there's more. So when I was driving one day, this, cause I kept asking the question in my mind, like, what makes me so different? Like, what is it that I want to do with my life? Like, like, who am I, you know? And this voice came to me and said, forgive the man that killed your father. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, like I, I never thought about this guy at all. You know, like we left it, you know, we never talked about him. So, so in that moment there driving to the gym, my heart like lit a fire within me. This thing was like, like, it just made my whole body like, oh my gosh, I want to know. Why did he, why did he go and shoot my dad? Like, why, why did this happen? You know? And that led me to, uh, to, you know, like looked up online, like trying to find uh, like stories online uh, about what happened that day. And then I, I figured out his name and I looked up, look him up on the, like the California prison and found out like, oh, he's in this prison. And I, you know, so um, before writing him, that is when I had to go into my healing period, my healing journey. And that's when my father-in-law, he gives me this book called um, Healing the Inner, uh, where is it? Uh, Reconciliation, Healing the Inner Child by Tich Not Han. When he gave me this book, I was going through, I was like, eh, man, my childhood is fine. Like I didn't have like, you know, my childhood was fine. Not knowing that he seen something in me, you know, that, that needed help, but his gesture was, oh, here's this book. I didn't read it, honestly. I didn't read it until later. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, oh, shit. Like, everything was, like, hitting me. Like, you know, like, the little girl within me that I, like, abandoned and just, you know, like, left her alone. And it was just, it was a time of healing where I end up sitting down and writing out what happened that day and me sitting and just writing out what happened that day all these emotion came up I started crying and just like bawling it was like another layer of just a, a grief again and after like after like doing that I meditated um never meditated in my life I started meditating in that period and I was doing like you know 20 to 30 minutes a day for like three months. Sitting with myself, sitting with the, all those emotions that I, I pushed deep, deep, deep down. All the guilt, all the shame, all the things that I, I fucked up back when I was younger. I, I had to meet with it. You know, it came up through the meditation. I had to be there for, you know, young Rose, whatever she was going through at that period. You know, instead of um, being so hard on yourself with guilt and shame and just like judging yourself so harshly, it was my first time being kind to myself, being kind mm -hmm. to, you know, those emotions that were arising, not judging it, being compassionate with it. So before I was able to forgive him, I had to forgive myself. And in that forgiving myself, was like a release of energy that that freed me. And then I was able to, you know, write him a letter and told him and uh, and I got closer with my mom by calling her, talking to her about, you know, the past and what she's been through. I wrote him a letter, I think was like in February, say, you know, like, um, I forgive you. Uh, me and my mom forgive you. Um, I don't know the story that what happened that day didn't make sense to me. So I wanted to get clarity. And I guess the prison hold uh, put my letter on hold for like think, think two or three months. 
because they probably read it and was like, you know, making sure if this was okay to get to him. I'm not sure. But um, I just remember that he said in the letter that when he got my letter, he just read the first part was like, hi, uh, my name is me own. I didn't tell him my real name because, you know, it was just, I came with my, my Cambodian name, like me own. Hi, my name is me own. I am the daughter of the man you killed. And that's all he read. And he closed it up and he was walking back and forth in his prison cell, just in disbelief. In disbelief. I think it, it's, to, I think he said, it took him like a couple of days for him to be able to, to actually read my letter. And yeah. And then after he did, did he reply back or how did the dialogue start with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. He actually replied back and, um, I didn't give him my address. I gave him my sister-in-law's address. Um, um, and we replied back and he said that he always wanted to apologize to my family, but he never had a chance to. So that gave him the opportunity to, uh, say sorry to my whole family. And, um, after that, we started writing to each other and we actually like, it was like a very spiritual, uh, uh, a friendship, you know, he was, you know, we're talking about our own healing journey. And for me, there was this one time where I was writing him and I felt like, I don't know if you guys like believe like this, but I felt like my dad was like writing through me, writing through me of like helping him. Like, how can he forgive himself? Like my family, we're, we're all okay now, you know, but is how can you forgive yourself? Yeah. Did some of your family were they kind of behind you in this? Cause I, I could imagine like, if it was my family, there'd be some that said, Hey, no way. We're not forgiving them. Don't reach out. Others would be like, let's do it. Right. Yeah. Were there conflicts? Was it tough or was, um, you know, um, with my brothers, they're, they're, they're all supportive. Like, you know, my oldest one, he said, um, if it was him, like he wouldn't reach out and, and, yeah. and write to him, but he's like, but, if you want to do it, go ahead, you know, but they were, they were pretty supportive. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Yeah, it's the, the, the Asian male, right? I mean, I'm not going to forgive that person. That That's what took me 30, 30 some years. Um, yeah. I'm a male, I'm a man. I'm like, how can I forgive this guy that killed my sister? Yeah. All right. But, you know, I was talking about my niece and um, like every year, on birth and stuff, she like, you know, wishes her mom birthday, happy, happily heavenly birthday. I noticed too, like she was doing it for her dad too. And that's, and that's when I started to think like, wow, if, if this little girl, well, she's not little anymore. If this little girl can forgive, why can't I? Um, she was able to, yeah, she was able to, uh, forgive her father way, way like, I don't know, know exactly when she forgave him, but um, I've never really talked to her about that, but it's like, it, it sure didn't take 30 years like me. And again, if I didn't see her post on Facebook and Instagram, you know, every year talking about, you know, just like, it, it's so sad, you know, on August 28th, she has to talk about happy birthday to her brother, you know, and then like July 17, she says that, you know, like, rest in peace to her, you know, her, her mother and father. And uh, I saw that she did it. So, so why can't I? Mm. And it's one, like you said, Rose, it's really about looking at oneself. I remember I was living in California. I wanted to be this big bodybuilding star. And one of my closest friends, my dearest friend, even though today, he says to me, be kind to yourself, Co. And I remember like looking at him and like laughing. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I'm on top of the world. Like I got a big show coming up and I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. What are you talking about? Like be kind to yourself. I didn't get it. I was like clueless for years. Right. And then I went through my addiction and all that. And like, then I realized, yeah, I wasn't showing myself uh, much love at all. You know, like, you, you know, you hear people talk and like, you know, your body, your body listens to what you say. Yes. You know, like, uh, it's like, if you're telling yourself, oh, you're not that great, you're not going to be, or I suck, you are going to suck. You know, I, I hate, I hate myself. Well, then your body will answer. 
Yeah. And your subconscious, right, will will get to you, especially you know, in the middle of the night, and and you're not you're not awake, but you, all those feelings come to you in, in the middle of the night, like you know, through your dreams or whatever. I truly believe that, and it's just yeah. And you wake up like, why didn't I have this dream? You know, like, I've never felt that way, and I was like, yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah, I had a lot of anger inside me. I was like, yeah, you're, you're right about looking in looking in ourselves and healing first before we can heal others in the same way that we have to love ourselves first before we can love someone else. Right. It's so Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. It all starts with us, you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look in the mirror. (laughs) That's, that's who's responsible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, you're kind of moving forward with your life and you've taken this whole journey and it and have a program with semantic breath work. Um, tell us, tell us all about that. Yeah. So, um, somatic breathwork is designed to clear out the pressure, uh, the trauma stored in the body because stress and trauma is the response of our nervous nervous system to the event that happened to us. So a lot of the times the energy becomes trapped in our body. So soma means body. And by doing somatic breathwork, it helps you release this energy through expression. And expression is the release of the stored energy. So um, it's like an imprint, right? So when my dad passed away, it left an imprint, an energy that was stored in me. And that energy was stored really deep, deep down inside. Like I wasn't able to release this energy of what happened. So this will help you become aware of like the repressed stored tension in your body. You can call it like internal pressure, trauma, negative beliefs. It's the energy that the breath work is going to help you discover what you're holding on to. Or sometimes it's preventing you to uh, preventing you from being your best self. So beyond just making you aware of what you are carrying in the body is an opportunity to let go. So this can be uh, during the breath work. It could be like a physical, emotional spiritual or a mental process. There is like no wrong or right way of doing the breath work. But sometimes when you get into the breath work, some people start crying, yelling loudly. Um, um, you know, they're releasing this physical experience and it's like coming into the body and you're expressing it out by crying, yelling, like shouting, punching into a pillow um, is this energy that we suppress. You know, and when I was doing the breath work, it is, it transformed my life. You know, in this room, we're all doing breath work. You have, you know, one girl screaming, don't touch me, don't touch me. And then there is another person screaming, you know, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? And it's just all this energy. So in this moment, when you're doing this breath work, everybody is going through something. Everybody has has something that they experienced in the past that wasn't able to um, release this energy out. And when you're able to um, release this energy out, like you become clear. So it's, you know, it's uncomfortable in that moment because it's, you know, um, it's designed to be uncomfortable. And in that discomfort, you have the opportunity to clear what you've been suppressed. And for me, I had, I was able to clear uh, this underneath anger and underneath this anger was actually sadness. And this sadness was, I wasn't able to grieve my father's death. And let me tell you, it is so freeing to be able to let this energy that consumed you and it's heavy. How did you find out about that? Like, is this like, was there either do you have a mentor or was there some schooling involved? How did you learn about somatic breath work? Um, I actually did like this uh, course um, online. They're like, oh, like 21 days, like manifest your, you know, uh, whatever you want in life. So mm-hmm. I, I was like, I joined that. And then they had this breath work person there. And the first time I did the breath work, I was too in my head. I was thinking like, oh, this is stupid. Look at the way I'm breathing. I'm like, I was judging myself too much. So I wasn't able to tap into, um, you know, into the body. And then the second time I did it is when, where it clicked. And 
it like I died. The old Rose died that day. And I was like, like was giving like a new life. Like we all have this chance to be reborn. Like we are reborn every day. Like me, you, we, we we're not the same person as yesterday. We weren't the same person as, you know, last year. We have this opportunity right in front of us to make the change that we want to see in the future. We're born new every day. Like we have. Yeah, if you just give yourself the opportunity and chance. I don't know where I'm going with that. (laughs) So you actually lead, do you lead? So now you're you're kind of a, I don't know what the right word would be, like a sensei or something. Um, But you Uh, lead, you train, right? Also in it? Yeah, I'm just a practitioner. Yeah. Practitioner, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I do... um, like a, a woman's retreat. We went to New Mexico. We did a woman's retreat on uh, breath work. And then we do corporations like men, they're coming together. Oh. So it's like personal development is like another layer of just, you know, for the corporations when they brought their men in is to help them. Like they want to grow their company. And if they want to grow the company, the, the workers, they have to develop themselves too. So for, you know, for us to come in and do the breath work, it helps develop the person, each and every one of them to just, huh, there's more to me. Oh, shit. I've been, you know, I, 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 I could have made more sales by, you know, it, it just, mm-hmm. it's just you tapping into you. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I mean, everybody's got their own battles inside their own trauma, but it does not have to be something like murder. It can just be. Yeah, just job related stress, right? Relationship stress, right? That you're trying to, yeah. 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 It's just everyday stress. I mean, I still do breath work and it's like every time I do it, something up, something different comes up. (laughs) Yeah. So I just do like at the local gym here, I do breath works. Um, I host breath breath works um, every so often and I do it online. How is your response, Bill? the response been because it's relatively new, right? I mean, it's like there's people that I, I think one that person has to want to change, right? For anything yes. to work, right? Therapy isn't going to work. AA meetings aren't going to work. You know, going to your doctor, nothing's going to work until you look in yourself and says, "I need to change." Right? But what type of response were you getting from like, you know, like for these men, from the professional men, what, what type of response were you getting? Yeah, it, it was it was funny because these guys were like in their 20s, you know, like they're like uh, uh, regular. You know, yeah, they're stuck. Yeah, it's like regular dudes, just yeah. regular dudes. And then for them to come in, it's like, you know, with therapy, like you got to talk with somatic breath work. It's like, no, you you have the own tool, like you have the power within you to to work it because we all have that gift we all have that power to tap into ourselves because that's where our own wisdom comes in versus somebody telling oh you do this this and this versus how about i help you discover your own answers it's more empowering when you find your own answers of what you're searching for uh-huh. and it, it's and everybody it's 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 different you know i had this young kid like well not young like 21 or something and and he was in the group with full of women. He was I we were I was surprised like he was the first one to actually just started like crying. You know, for this this guy to be in a group of women and then to realize afterwards, he just said that when he was younger, he he always felt alone. So in this breath work, he was who was able to tap into that little kid that was, you know, Oh. was abandoned and to, and he was able to nurture his little, you know, his, the inner child. It was just so beautiful. I was like, wow. You know, yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially we come from a culture again, coming from a culture that sweeps it under the rug and like yeah. our parents, we could run home and tell them this happened at school. They're just like, deal with it. 
You know, yeah. this kid's picking on me. This kid's beating me up. Yeah. <laughs> deal, deal with it. Yeah. They had their and own problems, right? They they had their own trauma to deal with, right? Like they yeah. came from the war. They, you know, my dad has probably seen a lot of like his friends die and stuff. And so just because me, some kid picks on me in, you know, in first grade to him, it's just like, just deal with it, man. You know? Yeah. And so, and so when you were in your fifties and, and started healing, what, like, what was your process of, you know, what made you be like, oh, I'm tired of, of living the life that you lived and what made you change? So my father, he passed away in 2017 and, um, he's buried here, um, in the same town, like right across the river. So I always go and see him. So there is my father's burial grounds and in the same cemetery, like a distance away is, uh, my nephew, Eric, um, his burial ground. And for some odd reason, he's buried next to his, his father. Okay. So my sister is buried. Uh, her remains are at, are at a temple in, in another city. And I don't know, we're just, we're trying to bring her back here, but that's another story to itself. But I never went to see my nephew because his father was there. And it's like one day I'm visiting my dad. And, I, and then I swear I heard like someone says, go visit, go visit Eric. So even though I had to see... You know, so I went, I was there, I'm looking straight at him and like, you know, to the right's his father. I'm not even looking over it. I'm just looking at him and I'm talking to Eric and all that. And I turned over, I turned over to his grave. And I was like, man, you know what? I was like, I couldn't even imagine how you're feeling to do what you did. And, uh, at that point, that it was that that point that you know what I, I had to let it go. You know, he had his own grief. <laughs> Somehow, it was the end of the world to him. Somehow, his wife leaving, his son dying, um, it was the end of the world. I mean, who's who's for us to say, you know, to to tell you you don't feel that way? You know, I mean, we're allowed to feel however we felt feel. So I just I, don't know, I just kind of saw it from you know, his point of view. And uh, yeah, it, it was then and there that, uh, you know, I, I, I forgave him. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were saying that, you know, what your brother-in-law been through was like the end of his life. Like for me to forgive Bob, like I read about his past, like he was in this book. So, and he came from the Khmer Rouge too. So, and he's seen his sister get killed and, you know, living a single mom, living in Stockton and was trying to find like his homies, you know, was getting bullied, you know, that's how the, like the gang part came in. Uh-huh. But to, to, to look back at their childhood and see the trauma that he's been through to see, you know, was, was helped me to, it was an understanding and compassion for him. Like, Oh, yes. shit, he, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. That's that's pretty intense um, from both of both of you. Um, well, Rose, where can people learn more about the somatic breath work and your your business, and also you know all of the other things that you, you're kind of doing with your social media, YouTube, etc. Yeah, um, you say where where the, the you where, can find where me can on find you? yeah uh, um, um, Instagram uh, at the Rosie Rose. Um, that's where I'm at. And I started doing YouTube, uh, for now starting off, I'm still trying to figure out my way, but the way, but what my inspiration for YouTube is actually leaving like what you guys are doing, like leaving a legacy behind for me is YouTube is a legacy for my kids. So if I'm gone, there's going to be videos of me forever living that they can watch. Hey, you miss mommy? Go watch her video. You're feeling sad? Go watch her videos. You know, like that's what I love about YouTube. It lives forever. And what you guys are doing here is amazing, you know? And I, um, um, so there is a, what is, a quote. what is the name of your YouTube channel? What's the name of um, it? It's just the Rosie Rose. The Rosie Rose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out like my lane, you know, like, okay, what, what do I like? But I have to start somewhere. If I don't tap in and start, like, I would never know. I could just sit back and wish like, you know, but it's like, have the courage to just try something out, even if it sucks or whatnot, like just give it a try, you know? Um, but last night when I was reading this, um, Gabor Mate, I love that guy. He said, life is an act of courage. The, and the greater the courage, the greater the life. And when I read that, I'm thinking about you two here, John and Co, because you guys are two courageous men coming together, building this, you know, platform. And you guys are spreading this awareness of like, like really a goodness out here. So like the work that you do and, you know, I don't know your story, John, but but for you guys to be here is that's a lot of work within yourself to be here today. So I'm seeing two courageous men right now. <laughs> oh, and, and John, John, I was looking at your picture. I was like, I never seen anybody's bicep so big. It was like a mountain on another me, mountain. Co. I'm Not like, me. What? just to be clear, you're talking co. Yeah, you, yeah. You said John. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I was like, what is way? Well, give me. Yeah. It, it's been it's been quite a journey i mean we just realized what is what's it been the 50 episodes like is that like yeah we're, year, we're this will be 50 this will be 52 right here oh wow yeah we're wow. We've been a little over right about two years actually right about oh, two, two years, years. yeah this month we've been doing this the podcast we started the hall of fame the loud american sports hall of fame before that um to, to recognize out, out athletes and then you know co came up with this idea which was great because we wanted to like you said it's leaving a legacy and not necessarily for the two of us but a lot of the athletes we interview right um they're they're not all household names but they have incredible stories and this is a way that they could get their story out there and and have it heard yes you know? yeah exactly i love that yeah thank yeah. you for letting you know let me share my story too <laughs> yep yep for sure well, good. Well, hey, we really do appreciate you coming on, Rose. This was a very uh, incredible story. Um, we'll put links to her Instagram, website, everything, her YouTube channel in the show notes, both on YouTube and on the podcast platforms. So click on click on one of those and follow Rose because I, I think there's a lot of more great stuff to come out of you, Rose, with where you're going with this whole thing. So, Nico, anything else? No, thank you so much for, you know, sharing such a, uh, you know, um, a, a difficult story again like no one would blame you if you never talked about it right we come from a culture that's just like well we never talk about it so no one would ever at least in our culture would say anything and, and i think it's brave you know i know it no it is brave not i think i know it is brave for you know you to come out and to talk and to share and for you to reach out to this to bob you know and uh yeah, that takes a lot of strength thank you Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. That's another episode of the Seaford Podcast. You know, please like, follow the show, share it with your friends, and we're out. The Seaford Podcast is brought to you by the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame. Visit us on the web at laoamericansports.com, celebrating the first, inspiring the next.